Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So, Derek, tell me about your week. Well, it's been, it's kind of become just a routine for me. I mean, it's just with with work and, you know, doing some movie stuff. Um, something I actually did uh, earlier today, I actually finished editing my very first music video. Awesome. That I ever shot. So that will be uh, a few friends of mine have a local band here. So we shot, uh, they've got a new record coming out in next week. Oh, I was kind of hoping so, it would be a rap video on a boat with like big booty hose. <laughs> that's that's the sequel. Uh, that's, no, is it's it's not quite that. Uh, sorry to disappoint you there. No, but, no, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, like, I've been doing um, video stuff for a while, but had never shot or worked on a music video. Period. So. It was kind of a new experience for me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that'll be online, I think, Wednesday. Cool. So other than that, you know, working on the Parker Syndrome, working uh, next week or this time next week, I'll actually be uh, landing in Philadelphia for podcast movement. Yes. I wish so, I could go. Oh, I wish I, I could know. go. Just, just go anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went up there like a month ago. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to go. I've never been to Philadelphia before and excited to, you know, push my show, this show and yeah. fi- figure out how to make the shows better. That's awesome. But other than that, you know, typical stuff. Yeah. Same here. I haven't really done too much uh, besides some writing stuff. Me and Wally have been working on uh, a short film for the last year or so. That's a sci-fi time travel short film. And we're going to do two different versions of it. We have the short, like, 10-minute version that we've written. And then we're going to do a 30-minute version. Uh, and then decide which one we're going to film. Because we want to... Uh, we're going to uh, try to sell it as a series. Or try to get um, funding for a full length. So we got to figure out if we can get enough money to actually do a half hour version of it, which is, would be a cool because then we could tell a, a much more, you know, longer form story, but at the same time, not as long as we'd like. So it's really just going to be more of a proof of concept type of thing. So we've been working on that. And, um, let's see today I went and saw a skyscraper with Dwayne, the rock Johnson, and um, it was actually okay. It wasn't bad. I was uh, expecting much less than what I got. But the important question I have is, did you smell what he was cooking? Oh, I smelled what he was cooking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually a really good movie. I mean, it was kind of um, uh, kind of silly, but that's what it it didn't try to be any more than that. So that's what made it good. Like it was completely predictable everything mm-hmm. in the movie like i'm not going to um spoil anything but they they pretty much set everything up all of the uh stuff that come what do you what's the term for the thing that you introduce at the beginning of the story that becomes a huge plot point at the end of the story uh what do you call that i know not what, a, i know what red, you're talking about but i can't think of the actual term yeah not a red herring that's that's kind of meant to uh take you off the track but it just like they introduce all this stuff at the beginning of the movie that i looked over at tina and i'm like yeah that's gonna show up at the end of the movie (laughs) (laughs) so it's like it's completely predictable but the rock is so likable you can't help but like the movie so if you get a chance to see it it, go see it in the theater because it's it is very um i don't i wouldn't recommend seeing it in 3d if you're uh if you're scared of heights or you get vertigo or gets uh, motion sickness, because there's a lot of scenes of the rock hanging off the side of a building and doing stuff way up in the air that made me feel kind of queasy a few times during the movie, but it was good though. I liked it. I feel like the rock goes through phases with his movies. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> years ago he went through that phase where he did like family comedies. Then he tried to be yeah. a serious actor and now he's doing just, almost silly over the top comedies like you've yeah. got or even silly over the top movies like skyscraper 
just looks over the top. But he's so good at it. That's what makes yeah, it fun. It, it, he makes everything worth it. Like that movie wouldn't wouldn't have been near as fun if it had like you know who's another action star like if it was like Jason Statham or something would be like way too overly serious you know like taking itself way too seriously I think the thing that makes the rocks movies fun is he doesn't take himself seriously and that's what makes it fun well he has that natural charisma about him and like I've never I've never seen him in person but he seems like that type of just personality that if he's in a crowded room as soon as he walks in everyone's gonna turn and look at him oh yeah he just has that yeah, he's he's always had that that natural charisma about him that oh yeah that I I envy so deeply. I recommend seeing but I, it, but if I you love get a the chance. Role. Yeah, if you get a chance, definitely see it. It's it's worth the money. No, I, I still got to go see Ant Man too. Oh, that's so good. I I liked it better than the first one. I saw it. Oh uh, really? Yeah, last Friday, the day it came out. Um, it was, whew, man, I loved it so much. I loved it way much more than the first one. A lot of people didn't like it though. I don't know why. Like I had a good time in that movie. I'll have to go check it out. I've, I've heard the same thing that you have. Like I've read a couple of bad reviews, but seems more positive than negative. So yeah, I'll have I mean, to go check it out. It, it is what it is. And it didn't try to be anything more than that. And that's what I love about these movies that, I, you know, like the uh, skyscraper and stuff. It's like, don't try to be anything more than what you are. And yeah. that's what makes great movies, you know? No, absolutely. But, um, but do we do have a little bit of, of, uh, some breaking news. Well, not breaking news, but an announcement to make that we are, going to be on patreon so derek tell them a little bit about our patreon that's going to be launching uh if you're watching this on on twitch it launches tomorrow if you're listening to this when the the episode drops it's today yes so i know this is something we've jason and i have been talking about off and on for honestly several months and had a had a chat last week about it and we've decided that we are going to launch our Nerd Cave Retro Patreon, yes. and to, to to talk about some of the tiers that we'll be doing, uh, we're going to have three levels. There's the $1 level, or as I like to call it, one simple dollar. Mm-hmm. Gets you an on-air thank you and on social media for basically keeping the lights on and keeping the show going. Yes. If you donate at the $3 level, you get to participate in a poll that we'll put on uh, Patreon. Basically... You guys will pick the games that we will review. Mm-hmm. So you'll get to do that at the $3 level. And the one I'm excited about for the $5 level, in addition to the on-air thank you and participating in the game review poll, you get to participate in a second poll where you will vote on a movie that will be doing a review, audio commentary, um, that we'll be doing, if we reach our stretch goal, which is $50 a month, we'll be doing an extra episode a month that will be a movie or um, like retro gaming movie or just yeah. a movie in general review. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a movie either. I mean, we could do uh, like television shows or, or anything that anybody would want to suggest to us, like at the $5 level, we will take suggestions. Like if you want us to do the first episode of like the Dukes of Hazard or something, you know, <laughs> we'll be more than happy to take those suggestions, but it's going to be more, you know, like retro sci-fi horror gaming related type of movies. Like we did with, um, last year when we did, um, we did a, a review with Wally, um, during the holiday, uh, the Halloween we did, mm-hmm. um, uh, they live, they live. And, uh, mm-hmm. before that we did an audio commentary for the wizard. So if you want us to do more stuff like that, like movie reviews, um, you know, uh, the commentary tracks and things like that. Once we hit the $50 level, we will do one of those once a month. Guaranteed. Yep. So, so as Jason said, if you're watching live, it will be online tomorrow. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, it's available now. So if you want so to just go to patreon.com slash nerd cave retro. Yeah. And just go to our Twitter page and, um, we'll let you know when it drops tomorrow, when you can go on the, uh, the actual Patreon page and we'll give the link and all that good stuff. So 
get your dollars ready, people. Help us uh, get keep the show going, keep the lights on. Now that we're not affiliated with Audible anymore, we need to be able to generate the money to keep the show going. So it's not free. I mean, it's free for you, but it's not free for us. So help us keep the lights on, help keep the show going. And uh, thank you for those that uh, already said they are going to participate. So thank you guys. It's coming. It's coming tomorrow or today, wherever, whenever you're listening to this. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and we'll go ahead and go into the news for this week. Boy, we've talked about Battletoads a lot the past couple of weeks. Derek, what is it with yeah. the Battletoads? Coming to us from NintendoLife.com. Super Battletoads is a canceled Game Boy game that was 100% finished and ready to go. Uh, and the, and the, guy, the uh, guy that wrote the article, his name is Ryan Craddock, uh, was released last Friday. Uh, he says, hearing the name Rare likely makes you instinctively jump towards a nostalgic thoughts of games like Banjo-Kazooie, GoldenEye, and Donkey Kong 64. The studio's partnership with Nintendo through the 90s generated some truly classic titles that are still adored today. The Battletoads is an iconic franchise, um, but did you ever play the one called Super Battletoads? No one did. Uh, speaking to Rare fan debase, video game engineer, producer, and Rare veteran Paul Matt... Machakek, is that how you pronounce that? Machakek? Close enough. Has spoken about a long lost Battletoad game that sadly never saw the light of day. It was designed for the Game Boy and was 100% complete before it was canceled. Uh, he says, and quote, probably the most annoying is the Super Battletoads on the Game Boy. Heard of it? No, nor has anyone else. It was the fourth one I'd written for the series. Uh, and this series was a spinoff from the arcade game of the same name and was 100% finished and signed off by Test. It got canceled shortly after he moved on to Donkey Kong Land because the arcade game had underperformed in market and Trade West pulled the plug on the whole franchise. Uh, in 2015, during Rare replay development, with long-term members of Rare saying to me, don't be silly, that game never existed, we found it sitting on an old disc. A finished copy of the game. One of the engineers here happened to have a Game Boy emulator, and we dragged the file into it and waited with bated breath. It ran. It worked out an infinite. Oh, he worked out an infinite lives cheat. Applied it to the binary file by poking it, and got one of their team to play through the whole thing in one go and record the video. It took a little over an hour with infinite lives, but was all there. A 100% completed game. Apparently, no bugs were seen. So what do you think? Do you think they're going to actually release this thing at some point? Maybe. I mean, with I think if the new Battletoads game does really well, I could see them maybe breaking this one out of the vault. Cuz I, I don't mean, know, it's it's, it's it's 100% completed. Why not uh give it a little bit of uh, you know, TLC and release it as a Switch uh, you know, on the what do they call that uh, arcade classic series or whatever for the, the Switch games that they do like Donkey Kong yeah. and stuff like that, like the older games? Why couldn't they do something like that and release it on the Switch? No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, Battletoads obviously still has its audience because I know it, the announcement of the new game got a good reaction. So why not do it? I mean, it's done. So like you yeah. said, just maybe clean it up a bit and throw it out there. I mean... It's just sitting there, so yeah. <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Exactly. I mean, we'll we'll keep an eye on this and see if there's anything else about it in the coming months and keep everybody posted. That being said, I don't know if I'll play it. I'm still pretty scarred from yeah. Battletoads and Double Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next story comes to us from IGN.com. Six Switch games that could launch with Nintendo Switch Online. Nintendo will launch its first paid online service, Nintendo Switch Online, to over 20 million Switch users all across the world this September. With it comes the ability to upload save data to the cloud, play classic NES games online, and voice chat through the use of a smart device application, all for the price of $19.99 per year. Which is insane. Yeah. But there's still one big brown Goomba in the room that needs to be addressed. Where are all the must-have games launching alongside Nintendo Switch Online? So Smash Brothers doesn't come out until December. So yeah. 
that's still a decent gap between September and November. So uh, IGN compiled a list of six games that, in theory, could launch alongside the online service. There is Warframe, which I've honestly never heard of. Uh, see, it's a recent announcement of Warframe for Nintendo Switch. It makes perfect sense for them to time the release of its co-op sci-fi action game with the launch of Nintendo Switch Online. It says it's free to play uh, also uh, and requires an online connection to play. Yeah. And there's also Super Mario Maker for Nintendo Switch. That's a good idea. Which, which would be a fantastic idea. That game mm-hmm. was really, really popular when it came out. Yeah. Uh, Star Fox Grand Prix. Despite no announcement of an official reprisal for the franchise, Ubisoft revealed during their E3 conference that Star Fox will be a playable character in the Switch version of its new game, Starlink Battle for Atlas. Sure, flying an R-Wing around in an open-world space adventure game sounds like a great time, but it's not a real Star Fox experience, which is why the heavily rumored Star Fox Grand Prix is still up for discussion. I I would play this, I'm not going to lie, but... I would much rather have a traditional Star Fox game. Yeah, same than here. a Grand Prix. Uh, Animal Crossing. This would be huge yeah. if that happened. I'm surprised they haven't done an Animal Crossing for the Switch yet, or even announced it. Like Animal Crossing is a huge property. Yeah, I know. I remember when that game came out on the GameCube. I never played it, but I read so much about it, and I got so many great reviews online, which was crazy. Yeah. Then there's also Steep for Nintendo Switch. Uh, Let's see. It's an open-world snowboarding, skiing, and paragliding game. That actually sounds kind of interesting. Okay. (laughs) And then finally, there's uh, FIFA 19 for Nintendo Switch, which I I think would be a smart idea. The, The sports games still do really well, and with the popularity of soccer going on, you know, with yeah. the world cup and everything, I mean, I know the world cup ended today, but soccer obviously has its, its niche audience. So yeah. I, I think any of these would be a good idea, especially an animal crossing or a Mario maker. I think animal crossing would be huge. That would be, if, if I was to put my money on anything, it would be animal crossing. Cause if you put that out for the switch, like that's that's got the same following as you know as big as Pokemon as far as the Nintendo community. I agree with that. I, I think that's I think that's what they need to do. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I didn't even think about that. That is a pretty big gap between oh yeah the release of the online service and Smash Brothers. I mean, Mario Party comes out in October, but it, it'll. It's a good series, but it doesn't carry the same weight of a Smash Brothers or something like that. Yeah. Um, and for our last story here, I, I wanted to talk about this because this was something we brought up a while back about the Atari C- uh, VCS. This is from the register.co.uk. Atari accuses El Reg of professional trolling and making stuff up, um, but they uh, came back and said they actually have the interview tape for you to decide if they were making things up. Uh, They were critical of the fact the machine did not work because uh, they went to, what was that? Uh, Was it, it wasn't E3. It was somewhere else. Let me, was it? uh, In San Francisco, uh, legendary games company Atari accused a register reporter of making stuff up and acting unprofessionally following an interview earlier this year in San Francisco at the launch of its new game console, the Atari VCS. Uh, this was the one we talked about where they at, were in a hotel room and they had mm-hmm. sort of a mock-up of the Atari VCS, but it had no innards. Like, it, it didn't work. It was basically just a, a mock-up. And they didn't know anything about it, basically. Like, they couldn't talk about uh, what, what engine it ran on. Like, what basically, any they couldn't tell you anything about it. Uh and so Atari, uh, and the register basically came out and, and said that they basically didn't know anything about it. Uh, so in the article, uh, I don't, I don't want to play it. So I, I would really just tell everybody to actually go to this article because there's a lot of MP3s in this article to listen to. Basically, um, they were given the interview to the, uh, the guy from Atari, 
uh, asking them questions, basically just regular reporter questions asking about the console and all this stuff, and they basically didn't know anything about it. And then the register came back and said, this thing looks to be very, you know, um, shady. And mm-hmm. that's what they wrote their article about. And so Atari came back saying they were, you know, lying. They didn't, uh, they were making stuff up. So the, the register went and released all these MP3 clips from the actual interview. So you can go back and listen to it yourself. But this was back in the beginning when me and you first started saying that this thing looked very shady and, and not up to snuff. So I, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, everybody kind of kind of go listen to it and give their own opinion. But I've said from the beginning, I think this is some sort of cash grab. And I don't think this thing's yep. going to see the light of day. I think they're going to take people's money and run. This was done on Indiegogo as in, instead of something like Kickstarter, which was your first red flag. Because first off, Kickstarter, you have to have a working prototype in order for you to be able to even start your Kickstarter. You have to have mm-hmm. a working prototype. But with Indiegogo, anybody can go on Indiegogo and say, you know, put a car, paint a cardboard box and say, hey, I'm going to make the greatest console ever made. Give me $10 million and I'll do it. And people, if you make the $10 million, you can just take it and leave. You have no obligation. So that's uh, no, no thank you. It's like that old classic rock song, Take the Money and Run. Exactly. I, the only other thing, I mean, I agree with you 100%, but the only other thing that I will throw out there, I will give props to the register for having the stones to throw all these MP3s yeah. in this article. Like I saw it at the top. I was just in my mind. I'm thinking, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> These guys ain't playing. Yeah, there's a ton of MP3 clips on here of the interview. So go on here and take a listen. It's at the uh, the uk Atari interview. So if you want to go listen to those MP3s uh, uh, with the actual interview, oh man, I, I don't trust these people as far as I could throw them. I love this section of the article. In that capacity, we would like to formally apologize to both Atari and Michael Arts for digging out a recording of the interview and for the following article in which we highlight that Atari is so full of crap that it should be designated a hazardous waste yeah. zone. <laughs> Love uh, it. That's perfect. And on that note, let's go ahead and move into video game history. On June 3rd of 1986, Nintendo releases Super Mario Bros. The Lost Levels as a sequel to the Super Mario Bros. The game was not released in North America, partially because it was deemed too difficult. And that uh, is what eventually was put onto uh, Super Mario All-Stars. And as everyone knows, we got over here a port of Doki Doki Panic, which they just reskinned with Mario characters. I-, I will vouch for that quote. The Lost Levels is a pretty difficult game. Yeah, I don't. I think it was a good idea to make Doki Doki Panic into Super Mario Brothers Two in America because I think if Super Mario Brothers Two would have been as difficult as the Lost Levels, I don't think Mario would have lasted very long. No, and I don't think Three would have gotten quite the reception that it did. No, not at all. Which, if you want to hear more detail about this game, you can check out our. All Star Christmas episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, buried deep in the archives. Yes. Uh, see, July 8th, 1986, Namco releases The Return of Ishtar, which is the sequel to The Tower of Druaga, which I have not played either of those games. I know there was a movie called Ishtar, which is uh, lauded as one of the worst movies ever made, but I don't think that's a game about Ishtar. <laughs> Now that you say that, it's going to be voted that's something we have to review. Yeah, probably. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't want to watch Ishtar. Please. Oh, man. No. <laughs> uh, moving on to 1990. On July 12th, Nintendo of America publishes... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't can get I just, away. Can I just skip this one? Oh, God. <laughs> July 12th, Nintendo of America publishes Final Fantasy for the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America. The game started Square's popular and long-running Final Fantasy series. Every week. Every freaking... It used to be Mega Man. And now, 
ever since we started making fun of Final Fantasy, it pops up every week. It's like it's mocking us. Did you actually hear about the the new uh, Final Fantasy game that's coming I, out? I did not. It's actually a prequel to the prequel that hasn't been made yet. It's called Final Fantasy Negative One. Is that for real? No, I'm kidding. Oh, God, I was about to say. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, the thing is, is I actually believed you for, the, for a second. <laughs> uh, still got it. Wow. I love it. <laughs> I, I still say once baseball season is over, I will review a Final Fantasy game. I think it's going to be Final Fantasy 3 that's on the SNES Classic. I just need to have – I want to have the ample time to get into it and see what it's like. I don't want to do like a you know, quick playthrough of it. I, I want to I do it right. Well, to be I, fair, I do- you did review a Final Fantasy game before with Mystic Quest. True. Even though a lot of people say that – that's not a true Final Fantasy game, but either way, I, I'm going to I'm going to do my due diligence. Good for you. <laughs> but but on that note, July twentieth, nineteen ninety, Metal Gear Two Solid Snake for the MSX Two computer is released exclusively in Japan. It's Konami's last major game for the hardware. And I know that one eventually came out on the Nintendo, but what was the date for that for Nintendo? Does it say? It does not. It just says July twentieth, nineteen ninety. Let me see if it might be. Oh no! Notes. It was Snake's. It was. Uh, it was called Snake's Revenge for the um, the Nintendo. It was released in uh, April of nineteen ninety. Okay. And it was made by Ultra, which was a subsidiary of Konami. And people, a lot of people don't like Snake's Revenge as, and kind of don't even count it as part of the, the Metal Gear series. Yeah. So to round us out for uh, this month in video game history, on July 27th, 1990, Nintendo releases Dr. Mario for three Nintendo platforms. Probably one of my favorite Nintendo games uh, just one of those kind of, not I wouldn't say mindless, but one of those games that I can always pop in and play for hours. Well, it's so simple to play, and it's addictively fun. Yeah. It's, it's one of those puzzle games like a, a Tetris that you can anybody can sit down and pick up on it and have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah. no, Dr. Mario is a great game. So uh, let me, I guess we don't have anything to read right now. So I guess we're going to go ahead and uh, let me get our music ready here. And um, we'll go ahead and move into our review for tonight. can't help but bob your head to that song yeah no (laughs) it's so 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 iconic so iconic so this week i am going to be reviewing the legend of zelda Link's awakening which is a 1993 action adventure video game developed by nintendo entertainment analysis and development that's a mouthful wow and published by nintendo for the game boy it's the fourth installment in the legend of zelda series and the first for a handheld game console so I've been wanting to review this game for a while. I actually played through it, I think, two, two and a half months ago. I was looking on the 3DS virtual console because I haven't played my 3DS in a while. And I found this game, and I always liked it, but I hadn't played it in so long because as great as the console games are, the handheld installments to me, get a little bit overlooked. Like some of the more modern ones, like Phantom Hourglass, um, I haven't played those, but, you know, the older ones like Link's Awakening and then years later they released the Oracle series for Game Boy Color. I always had uh, a connection with this game because, especially during summers, I would go to, uh, my grandparents used to have a, like a fishing camp in Tallahassee, which is about a three-hour drive from from where I live. So I spent a lot of time 
playing this game. And for those who haven't played it, it's very similar to Link to the Past as far as uh, as play style goes. It has that top-down perspective. The couple of changes, it's, it takes place outside of Hyrule. And to talk about a little bit of the plot, um, unlike most Legend of Zelda titles, Link's Awakening is set outside the kingdom of Hyrule. It omits locations and characters from previous games aside from protagonist Link and a passing mention of Princess Zelda. Instead, the game takes place entirely on Koholint Island, an isolated landmass cut off from the rest of the world. The island, though small, contains a large number of secrets and interconnected pathways. So that that was another thing that was kind of cool about this game is that it was kind of the precursor for Majora's Mask because that's the game that everyone thinks of as far as games that take place outside of Hyrule yeah. in the Zelda franchise. But this kind of set that standard. And those games always kind of intrigue me because in a way you're kind of in the same situation as Link because Link is a complete stranger in this world. So basically to set this up, uh, Link is traveling by ship to other countries, islands to basically learn, you know, combat wisdom to help, you know, him be able to better protect Hyrule from whatever threat may, may happen. So he's sailing back to Hyrule and the storm just pops up out of nowhere. Lightning hits his ship and he's lost at sea and he wakes up on this island next to a girl named Marin. She takes him back to her house who she lives with, with her father, uh, father Taryn and basically nurses him back to health. When you heal, you go back to the beach, you, you know, find your sword and shield. And through that, you're learning things about the Island. And the main objective of the game is you have to go through eight different dungeons and collect, um, different instruments called um let's see uh they had an actual name but i'm blanking on it i can't remember off the top of my head it's not saying in this um in this article here but basically you're having to collect oh it's the instrument of the sirens you have to collect these eight instruments in order to wake the wind fish which is sleeping in this giant egg that's at the top of the highest mountain on the island so it follows the same Zelda formula. You go to your dungeon, you find your item that's crucial in defeating that boss. But this game has a a certain charm to it that a lot of the other Zelda games don't have because you're in this new world, you meet all these new characters, they all have their own unique personality. This is one of the first games where you feel like you're talking with actual people as opposed to, you know, people who are just kind of there for filler. Like to me, the, these characters, as far as like side characters are better than say, like a link to the past. As much as I love link to the past, yeah, you don't have a ton of interaction with other people. It seems like, but with this one you do. Well, I, I remember playing this game when I was a kid, cause I did buy a game boy at one point and this was the only game that I had for it because this was the pack in game for the version of the game boy that I bought. And I bought it specifically for this game, the legend of Zelda game. And I just remember, I don't remember much about it. I didn't play it very much because I remember being disappointed that it didn't take place in Hyrule and it, and it felt different for some reason and I just I never played it all that much but I feel like I did myself a disservice because so many people do love this game and applaud it for being you know one of the best uh you know sort of the, the retro Zelda games that you could could play like at the time like it, everybody loves it much better than Link's you know uh the uh, Adventures of Link say you know, but they oh, love it sure. just as much as Link to the Past and the original Legend of Zelda. So, I think if maybe I'd have played this on the the Super Game Boy and maybe played it on the actual Super Nintendo, I probably would have given it more of a chance. But I don't know. I I just the Game Boy really didn't capture me back then. And like you, like we had talked about before, you did a lot of traveling as a kid too, and that was the perfect like companion to take with you you know on a road trip or a car trip my family didn't go anywhere when i was a kid so i had no reason 
to really have a Game Boy because, you know, I could play my Nintendo or my Super Nintendo all summer long. I didn't go to camp or, you know, go on vacations and things like that. So I bought a Game Boy just specifically for this game, but it ended up just kind of being... I don't know. I felt mediocre to me at the time, and I just kind of stopped playing it. And I gave the Game Boy to my mom. I actually think she probably played this game to the end. She loved the Game Boy, and I th- she might still have it. I don't know. Interesting. But no, the, I definitely think you should go back and play it. I mean, even worst case scenario, if you were to find a Super Game Boy and play it on a Super Nintendo. That might be the way that I would do it because yeah. it, it plays very much like Link to the Past. The The only difference is that with the Super Nintendo, you had four buttons on your controller. So you could, you know, have more access to weapons and equipping and things like that. With the, with the Game Boy, you only have two. So you can only have two items at a time. So say when you get the Pegasus boots... In Link to the Past, you could hit like the X or the Y button, and you would oh, automatically yeah. start running. Oh, that's But with cool. Link's Awakening, you have to actually equip it to the A or B button before you can use it. Yeah. So say if you need to... And one of my favorite power-ups is actually introduced in this game. It's called the Rock's Feather, where it gives Link the ability to jump. Hmm. And, and Link doesn't do that in really any of the other games besides, you know, Adventures of Link, or if you're like jumping over a ledge in Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask, you just keep running and you'll he'll jump automatically. But it, to me, it added like that slight bit of platforming to it, but done in the right way. Because when you're in a dungeon, say if you're going like underground or something, it switches to a platform-looking perspective while you're traveling like from one side of the tunnel to the other. Yeah. And what's And what's funny is that this game actually has little elements of Mario characters. Like they have Goombas as little, like, you know, things you can fight in those tunnels. That's cool. Um, And another thing that this game, they did it a little bit in Link to the Past, but Link's Awakening really, really set the standard for the item trading, where you start with one item, you trade it for another, then you trade that for another it goes on for a while. I think it goes up to like 12 exchanges or something like that. Anyway, the first item you get is a Yoshi doll that you win doing a, like one of those crane machines. And then you trade that for something and then you trade that and so on and so forth. And you eventually get the boomerang yeah. because of it. Hmm. So there are some some odd elements in a way. And there's... There's one little quote in here that says the game's freewheeling development made Link's Awakening seem like a parody of the Legend of Zelda series, which I I disagree with that because I think it's a very worthy installment. It it has a different feel for sure because it takes place in a completely different environment, different characters. It adds a little bit of the platforming aspect to it, but like I said, I I really like it. And... (sighs) A little side note that I actually didn't know until I was I was doing a little more research before I started my review. Even though Shigeru Miyamoto was a producer on this game, he actually had very little to do with it. Really? Because he was working on a couple of little-known titles called Star Fox and Super Mario Kart. Oh. When did this so game come out? When did... Uh, so, 93. So, yeah... That means I bought the, um, so yeah, I bought the Game Boy well after I actually had my first job. And I think that's actually why I had the money to buy a Game Boy. Because mm-hmm. I, I had, I got my first job ever uh, in the summer of 1993. So this game came out in North America in August. So I must have spent um, some of my very first paychecks to get this game and a Game Boy. Yeah, it says here it, it came out in Japan in June of 93 and then in America in August of that same year. But as far as other things that this game introduces, I mentioned the item trading. It also introduces 
one of the more known characters, and if you ask most people, uh, one of the more disliked characters, uh, Kipora Gabora the Owl. Hmm. I don't remember from, that at all. Well, the Owl from Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. and he is actually, he's not mentioned by name, but an owl actually will repeatedly or occasionally like find you and will offer you advice on what you need to do next. That's cool. Uh, it says so, here, too, that um, in 2010, Nintendo announced the DX version would be re-released on the virtual console for the 3DS. It became available in 2011. In 2013, Link's Awakening DX was offered as one of several virtual console games which elite status members of the North America Club Nintendo could redeem as a free gift. Yeah, that is the one that I recently played. Awesome. The DX version, when... They re they re-released it for Game Boy Color. The game's in full color and also introduces a new dungeon. Like you can get into it if you're playing the DX version on a normal Game Boy, but you can't really go into the dungeon because you have to solve like a color quiz mm. that you can only see if you're playing it on a Game Boy Color. But basically oh. you get the choice between two different tunics. You get a red one or a blue one. Uh, the red one basically increases your attack power, and blue increases your defense. So it is a cool little extra thing on there. So who is the main but, boss in this game that you have to defeat? I'm trying to because th- I you haven't played it, so there there's a story twist that I don't want to spoil for you. Ah, okay. So I will. So it's not Ganon, was, though, is it? It is not. Okay. Basically, all the bosses are called nightmares. And there's a reason they're called that, which you'll find out later in the game. But you're, the final boss is basically, I think, six short boss battles. So like you fight one that's not that hard to beat. And then you fight you know, four or five more. So it's basically like you're going through a gauntlet as opposed mm-hmm. to fighting one specific boss. Oh, okay. That's kind of different. But the and that kind of goes into the thing I like the most about this game is the story. And I can't fully get into it cuz I I want you to actually play through it and then let me know what you think about it oh, because I'm going to. Yeah, it, th- it's <laughs> Oh, I don't mean to cut you off, but this actually sells me on it right here. Uh Tezuka, uh, he was his name. Um, let's see, Tezuka uh, intended the game's world to have a similar feeling to the American television series Twin Peaks, which, like Link's Awakening, features characters in a small town. He suggested that the characters of Link, Link's Awakening be written as suspicious types, akin to those in Twin Peaks, a theme which carried over into later Zelda titles. Uh, he created these odd characters. He was placed in charge of the sub-events of the story and wrote almost all of the character dialogue with the exception of the owls and the windfish's lines. It's a shame that they didn't have a damn fine cup of coffee. I know. Some cherry pie and a damn fine <laughs> cup <Right>? of coffee. <laughs> you know, we have a, uh, uh, I have a, a coffee cup from that restaurant because Tina actually went there when she lived in Seattle. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, on the coffee cup, it says uh, cherry pie and a damn fine cup of coffee. <laughs> I want to watch the the new series. I know, me too. I, ha- I haven't seen it yet. I've watched the old one, you know, when they released it on Netflix. Because I, I was a little young when that came I think that came out in, what, 90? Uh, yeah. 90, 91? Mm-hmm. Like, very, very early 90s. Man, but- I remember when that show came out. And I watched the whole series with my parents and I was probably a little too young to watch it and kind of get what was going on. But it was so odd and weird. It was like I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Yeah. But no, uh, back to to Link's Awakening, you know, I, I will say this. I feel like even though it's gotten high reviews, I would still honestly call this the most underrated Zelda game that has ever been made. And I say that because the console games just get so much credit and rightfully so most of them are great. 
You know, I've said it before, Ocarina of Time is my all-time favorite video game. I really like Majora's Mask. Link to the Past was my favorite game growing up. But this game has has a nice little soft spot for me. You know, I, I spent a lot of time, as I said before, playing this game, you know, on road trips, going to visit my grandparents and whatnot. So it holds a lot of sentimental value to me. It's a perfect, fun Zelda game with just enough of a different feel, different environment, different characters to make it feel like a new experience. And for anyone who hasn't played it, who likes Zelda, I highly recommend it. I I, I honestly think if you, if you were to play it, I think you would really enjoy it. I think I would too. I'm I really do want to play it because I just didn't give it the chance that it deserved at the time. Maybe it was just because I, this was about the time that I've talked about before when I actually got a computer as well and started really getting into computer gaming around 93, 94. So maybe that had something to do with it. Plus I just really, I don't know. I just didn't get into the game boy. So I really didn't give it the, the shot that it deserved. So I really want to go back and play this and experience it fresh for the first time. Really? You should No, you really should. But I would give this game on a scale of one to 10. I would give it, I'd say probably an eight and a half to nine. Wow. That's high praise. (laughs) It's really good. Like it had breath of the wild not come out. This would probably still be in my top five Zelda games of all time. Cause I, off the top of my head, I'd still personally put Ocarina of time. Number one, breath of the wild would be two. Link to the Past would be third. Wind Waker would be four. And then five is really close between Majora's Mask and Link's Awakening. Awesome. So it's it, it's it's up there with the great Zelda games. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Well, that's cool. Like I said, I really do want to get a, uh, a Super Game Boy for my Super Nintendo. And this is going to be the first game I get for it. You'd love it. Let me look. It, like Just, I said, any... Go ahead. Oh, just as a, just out of sheer curiosity, let me look on eBay to see what uh, Link's Awakening is going for these days. Link's Awakening for Game Boy. Oh wow, they have a a, a Zelda lot of Link's Awakening. Um, Minish Cap. What is that? Uh, Oracle of Seasons, Four Swords, and a couple of other 3DS games, I believe, for eighty bucks. Um, there's one here for Game Boy Color, fourteen ninety nine. Uh, Game Boy Color box only. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one. Uh, well, Game Boy Color, nineteen ninety eight, twenty one ninety seven. Uh, the DX collection for Game Boy Advance, nineteen ninety nine. So it's actually. Not that expensive. Here's one, uh, the original Game Boy for nine bucks. So these are actually not wow. that expensive. I've seen it in a couple of retro gaming stores we have in town, and it's it's not that expensive. Yeah, there's one here. It looks almost in perfect condition for the Nintendo Game Boy 1993, $13.10 or best offer. This Link's Awakening collection, like, is this. Did Nintendo make this or did someone else do it? Um, Because it's got the Game Boy Advance cartridge. It's got five different modes of the game. It's got Link's Awakening DX, which is the full color version. Hero mode, which is harder enemies with many new additions and changes. New Awakening DX, redesigned dungeons and more challenging Mm. gameplay. Heart Awakening, which is a Master Quest version with different dungeon layouts, and then the original black and white Game Boy version. I don't know. Maybe that's that's probably some sort of, uh, I don't know, like a um, maybe a hack job or something. I don't know. I kind of want to play it, though. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can pick up a copy of this for pretty cheap nowadays, so I think I might do that. You should. Very soon. 
But yeah, that really should. Unless you got anything else you want to say about, it, I think that's going to bring us up to the end of this episode. And everybody watching on Twitch, stick around because we're going to do next week's episode as well, right after this one. It's what we call a twofer. It's a twofer this week. No, like I said, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about Link's Awakening. If you haven't played it, definitely do it. Very good game. Love awesome. it. Awesome. Probably my. It's. I won't say probably. It is my favorite Game Boy game. Wow, I don't really have one. So <laughs> I'd love to play Metroid, though. I do want to play the Metroid game for the original Game Boy. Yeah, I never played that one. I want to review Super Metroid too one of these days because I've been playing it a little bit. And uh, oh, such so, a good game, so good. Like, why don't yep. they, they don't make games like that anymore? <laughs> they just don't. I mean, well, they do kind of, but. Not like I still that. say that's the best Metroid game ever made. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. It's probably Prime a cheat. was really good, but yeah, it's probably a cheat for me to even review that game because it's just like it's great. Go get it. <laughs> There's really no review going on. It's like it's awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, well. But no, that's that's all I got for Link's Awakening. All right. Well, um, I guess that's gonna pretty much bring us to the end of the episode. Like I said. Go check us out on Patreon if you'd like to support the show. <clears throat> it helps us keep the lights on, helps us pay for the show, and uh, we'll give you a shout out on on you know on uh, the Twitters and the Facebook. If you do the one dollar level, uh, the, the higher up levels, you get to actually pick what we what we do on the show here. And if we do fifty dollars a month, we get up to fifty dollars a month. You're going to get an extra episode, so you can't beat that with a stick. You'll get a nice shout out on the face chat and the snapbook. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, it's got a good interface on it. Um, and don't I, forget to go leave us a review as well, too, or whether you're listening to us on iTunes or on uh, whatever pod listening app you're on. Please leave us a review because that helps us get in front of more people. And uh, we've got some good numbers going on lately, but I want more. I always want more. So go leave us a review. Tell your friends about us. Uh, if you got a friend that... You know, listen, likes to play retro games and all that kind of stuff. Send them over here to the show. Send them on Twitter yeah. or whatever. Just send them this way, and um, and hopefully they'll become a regular listener too. Because we love you guys. That we do. But let's go ahead and get out of here. Let me go ahead and play our music. What do you say, Derek? Let's do it. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. <laughs>